So, hello everybody. Now, just a quick notice. Um, if you're wondering why Simon and Jodie are smiling uh, and are very relaxed and sat back and enjoying the morning, they're about to start a short sabbatical. Woo! Um, as elders, we felt this would be a really good idea, particularly over the summer where it works for them. This is a time, as we prayed about it, this is a time of rest and refreshing for them before they pick up the reins again in September. Um, and it's, I think it's actually really important to build extended times with God, to rest, if you like, and take stock. Uh, so, that, so during this time, if you normally would go to or email or ask or pull Simon or Jody about things, can you let it wait you know what? Loads of things can just wait. Let it wait till September as they have a break, as they enjoy this time um, of just kind of a stop. Not a stop with God, just a stop with the responsibility, if you like. If it is urgent, obviously speak to me or Gavin or your community group leader, but let them um, enjoy this um, break. We want to deliberately, if you like, gift them some time to themselves and with God and with the family. So Simon and Jody, we thank you for your commitment and your faith and the joy that you bring to Jubilee. Um, and together as a church, we pray for a time of rest and refreshment, um, that you would encounter Jesus together as a family and that we would, con and that he, Jesus, would continue to sustain you and grow you as you lead the church and as you contribute in so many ways and live well for Jesus. So we're going to be really praying for you of this, this time. We love and pray. Uh, we hope and pray that this time will be a time of encouraging and so that when you come back, you'll be raring to go with greater things to contribute through God's Spirit overflowing. So have a break. Have a Kit Kat. <laughs> Let's thank God for them. So good morning, everybody. If, you, if you've got a Bible, you might want to start turning to uh, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 22. We're going to be reading Matthew 22, verses 23 to 45. If you haven't got a Bible, no worries. I'll be putting it up on the screen later. So welcome to Jubilee. Thanks for coming. Great to see the baptisms, as I said last week. What a great morning of celebration. New life, new beginnings, new opportunities in God, new hope. I love baptism mornings. If you're a visitor here this morning, over the last few months, uh, we've been looking at the real Jesus, the person we have been singing about and worshiping this morning, as documented in the gospel, the historic gospel of Matthew, radical encounters that people had with this God-man Jesus, always challenging, always loving, often controversial, bringing revolution wherever he went. Jesus changes lives. He could change your life this morning if he hasn't already. And this and this morning, the encounter with Jesus and the Sadducees, the religious leaders, is no different. So just to set the scene, as Gavin said last week, uh, we are now in Jesus' last seven days of his life on the earth. He is heading for the cross. He is heading for crucifixion. 
Previously in the sticks, Jesus is now in the Big Apple, the capital city, um, essentially declaring that he is their Messiah. And the religious top bods, the religious leaders want him dead. Jesus, you have outstared your welcome. And so the question we have to ask is, what is motivating Jesus in these seven days? And I think one of the motivations that stands out throughout the Bible is the hope of resurrection. Or as Matthew described it early, earlier in Matthew 19, if you remember that, he described it as the renewal of all things. The renewal of all things. Heaven invading earth. Now, I don't know what you think uh, when you think about heaven. Um, some think it's like the ultimate retirement village nice. Or maybe uh, one eternal round of golf forever and ever. That sounds like hell actually to me, but anyhow, if you're, if you're a golf fan, that's good for you. Others say it might be like one extended forever and ever and ever and ever church service. Imagine that. This one was a good one today, by the way. So before we kick off, I'd like us to get an overview of what the Bible says about heaven. Okay, the overview of heaven. So we're going to watch a short film before we unpack the word. Okay. Better than I could have said it. So with that in mind, um, the passage we're about to read now is, is, with a is Jesus with a group uh, of religious leaders called the Sadducees, not the usual Pharisees that we're often uh, see Jesus having uh, bust-ups with. Who are the Sadducees? Um, well, they were a small, small religious sect with a large, large influence, and actually also large, large bank balances. And one of the fundamental differences between Sadducees and Pharisees that is important to know this morning is that unlike the Pharisees, the Sadducees didn't believe in resurrection afterlife. And so when Jesus starts going around saying, I am the resurrection and the life, the Sadducees are not impressed. So let's read Matthew 22. Uh, starting at 20, verse 23. That same day, the Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came to him, Jesus, with a question. Teacher, they said, Moses told us that if a man dies without having children, his brother must marry the widow and raise up offspring for him. So this was a Jewish custom called Leverite marriage, uh, and it was a way to preserve the family line and look after the sometimes impoverished widow after a husband dies. And so, knowing this, the Sadducees go on to describe a riddle to trap Jesus. They make up this kind of ridiculous scenario. It goes like this, verse 25. Now there were seven brothers among, Jesus, among us, Jesus. The first one married and died, and since he had no children, he left his wife to his brother, Leverite marriage. The same thing happened to the second and the third, right down onto the seventh wife. Really? Finally, the woman died. Now then, they cunningly ask Jesus, at the resurrection, at your resurrection, whose wife will she be of the seven? Since all of them were married to her. 
a little riddle. In other words, they're, they're saying, look, Jesus, if resurrection is real, if heaven is real, what's going to happen to this woman, according to the law of Moses? Either this one woman who married seven brothers and had sexual relationships with them, would they have to live out eternity in your dirty resurrection heaven, in incest and sin? That's what they're saying, essentially. It's pretty gross. Is that what your heaven looks like, Jesus? Or alternatively, in heaven, when all the dead brothers rise again, whose wife would she be? Eeny, meeny, miny, moe. How would they work that out? Ridiculous, Jesus. Or, as they wanted him and the crowds to come to the conclusion, is the whole idea of resurrection and heaven absolutely absurd. Game over. On your bike, Jesus. So, verse 29, so Jesus replied, you are in error because you do not know the scriptures, very important, or the power of God, very important. At the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. As we said a few weeks ago, marriage is a relational picture of Jesus and the church, his bride. When you have that real relationship in all the perfection of heaven as Jesus, the great bridegroom, comes together to be with his bride, the church, you and me forever and ever. Marriage will be no more. Marriage isn't needed. Marriage will be just a dim reflection compared to falling into the arms of Jesus. That's Jesus' answer. At the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like angels in heaven, spiritually eternal bodies. And then he goes on to say, but about the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what God said to you, Sadducees? I, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but he's the God of the living. So Jesus' response here, again, is very clever. He takes them Another thing to know about the Sadducees, actually, he takes them to the only bit of the Bible that they believed in. The Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament, they didn't think much of the rest. He takes them to Exodus 3, 6, which they would have known off by heart, where God reveals himself to Moses in the burning bush. And then he declares to Moses who he actually is. He says, I am I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. And what he's, highlight, what, what, and what he's highlighting to the Sadducees is that God doesn't say, I was the father of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, but not anymore because they're dead now. No resurrection, no heaven. But rather, he says, I am their God right now because I'm not the God of the dead. He's the God of the living. Hallelujah. That's what your scriptures teach you, Sadducees. Read them properly. That's what the word of God and the power of God that you fail to see. That's what it is. The, a world beyond this one. The renewal of all things. So our passage ends. When the crowd heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. They were gobsmacked, and so should we. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this passage. Thank you, Lord, for this encounter. Thank you, Lord, for our worship this morning, giving us a glimpse of heaven. 
that you are renewing all things, that you are making all the sad things come untrue, that you are bringing healing, that you are uh, relieving, that you are bringing justice, that you are relieving poverty, that you are fighting wars. I pray, Lord God, that you will come upon us this morning with your spirit so that we may hear your word and be encouraged to live well now with eternity in our soul. Amen. So three things quick, helping us to apply heaven now. Today, tomorrow, and ongoing. Firstly, a biblical understanding heaven of heaven gives us reason to live well now. A lot of people today would argue exactly the opposite. If God's going to zap it all or make it all new, does it really matter what we do now? The American poet and writer Oliver Wendell Holmes phrases it well when he says, they are so heavenly minded that they are of no earthly good. John Lennon famously wrote an anthem for our culture, didn't he? Imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. Imagine all the people living for today. We are not just imagining that, are we? That's how the world thinks. We are seeing that play out in the lives and societies of today, in all the mess and sin and degradation and self-centeredness. Living for today, the Bible gives us actually a better story. The earth, the Bible says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. God delights in the earth so much that he wants to revitalize it, the renewal of all things. And as lovers of God, me, you, the church, we are called to be stewards and caretakers and gardeners and builders of all that God loves. His love, Jubilee, becomes our love, doesn't it? If we're like John Lennon, imagining there's no heaven, imagining uh, living for today, none of that, none of what we do really would make sense. Buying this building, hopefully one day, to worship God together, considering multiplying this family into numerous more local fam families across Teesside um, on different sites, uh, gathering nations into the church of God, facing persecution in the name of Jesus, putting on alphas all over the place, giving thousands of pounds to buy a child development center nearly 4,700 miles away in Ghana from, uh, from where any of you live for people you might never see, going to prayer meetings after a hard day or community group after a hard day at work. Without heaven jubilee, none of this makes sense. Living for today does not make sense. Living for today, if I live for today, we may as well bunk all of that and get most of out of life right now. But we have a bigger vision. God has given us a bigger vision. Sociologist Rodney Stark wrote a famous book in the 1990s called The Rise of Christianity, where he objectively examines the phenomenal growth of Christianity from a small movement in Galilee uh, and Judea at the time of Jesus to the majority religion of the Roman Empire just a few centuries later. And basically he asks, how come? Why did this happen? How did this happen? And in it he talks about two plagues in the early centuries which were wiping 
hundreds of thousands of people out. Terrible. And at the time, he says, the pagan Greeks and the Romans didn't know what to do. They didn't have a cure. In fact, they knew that being in contact with other sufferers meant they'd be at risk of getting it too. So what did they do? They fled, even the doctors, but not the Christians. They stayed. And not only did they care for their own sick, they cared for others too, the Greeks and the Romans. And as a result of it, many of them died. Phenomenal bravery. So how come, Rodney Stark asked, how come they stayed? Why? And he comes to this conclusion. I'm not even sure Rodney Stark's a Christian, but he comes to this conclusion, talking about Galen, one of those famous pagan doctors of the time who fled. He says, Galen lacked belief in life beyond death. The Christians were certain that this life was but a prelude, a little window to something more important. For Galen to have remained in Rome to treat the afflicted would have required bravery far beyond that that would be needed for the Christian to do likewise. To flee was a rational response for the pagans. To stay was a rational response for Christians. Do you get it? Understanding heaven gave them reason, gave them logical reason to live well now. Secondly, understanding heaven gives us strength to live well now. True biblical discipleship, I don't know if you've noticed, true biblical discipleship following Jesus is hard. Last week, we celebrated baptism, symbolic of new birth. When our children were first born, we didn't think, hey, relax, job done, sit back. No way. The real hard work was about to begin, don't we know it? Biblical discipleship is about sacrificially giving up my time, your time, and money and conveniences and comfort to follow Jesus. That's tough. Jesus talks about how tough it will be all the time. Our prayer meetings, our Sundays, our community groups, our serving opportunities, our friendship and accountability in all we do, our generosity, our personal habits, so important, our personal habits of prayer and fasting and Bible study and simplicity and celebration, even suffering. They might not seem funky or trendy, but that is the core of what I see in the Bible as biblical discipleship. We need to take responsibility for that. This is what nourishes us, shapes us, refines us, and sends us out with kingdom value. Phil Moore writes, Jesus had recruited the 12, not with promises or incentives, but with a simple command to follow me, even though it meant leaving behind family, friends, fields, and fortunes. When Jesus commissioned them to go and make disciples of all nations, he was not so much telling them to disciple the world, but rather to call the world to become disciples. We're in this together, Jubilee. Biblical discipleship is not easy. Knowing the bigger picture, however, give us, gives us strength to persevere. Knowing the greater good that will come. Seeing a greater light at the end of the tunnel. Living life with an indwelling God, God the Holy Spirit, fortifies us. 
even when things go wrong, especially when things go wrong. I love Proverbs 31, 25, when it says, she is clothed with strength and dignity. She can laugh at the days to come. Heaven gives us a reason to live well. Heaven gives us strength to live well now, not in some distant future, now, right now. Finally, heaven gives us the power to live well now. Do you see what Jesus does after the marriage conundrum riddle thing? What does he say? You are in error because you do not know the scriptures. It's so important that we go to the scriptures. That's what guides us. That's how we meet God. But also, you are in error because you do not know the power of God, the power of God. We are people, Jubilee, who walk by the Spirit. Jesus said, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Jesus says, before I was with you, but now I will send the Spirit, the Spirit of myself, God the Holy Spirit, me in every way so that I can be with everyone, everywhere, every time. That's your reality, Jubilee. That's my reality, Jubilee. That's what Andy was talking about when he said, we want greater intimacy this morning. This is not a fuzzy thing. He's real. He's alive. He's with us. He was with us, wasn't he? Jesus, when he taught his disciple, disciples and us to pray, he said, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let up there, in other words, this is the Raj uh, translation, let up there be like down here. Bill Johnson, leader of uh, Bethel, says this, when we pray for his kingdom to come, we are asking him to superimpose the rules, order, and benefits of his world over this one until this one looks like his. Yes, amen? I'm going to read you a text. If I can find it quickly. Yeah. This is from the guys who lead the church out there in Russian-occupied Ukraine. It says this, My wife and I do not speak English. We are glad that you are taking care of us. We are in a place where the sounds of artillery explosions are constantly audible. For example, last night we woke up from the fact that a warehouse of artillery shells was blown up by a rocket. It was very loud. That was just yesterday. We worship a God who is large and in charge. We worship a God who is renewing all things. And we must believe him for this. And therefore, we must act now and pray now and do everything we can. Heaven gives us a strength, gives us a power, gives us a reason to be Christians who are on the front foot, working for justice, praying for intervention. That's why we rejoice. That's why we welcome. We inspire, we go, bringing the joy news of Jesus to everyone everywhere. C.S. Lewis put it, heaven is the remote music that we are born remembering. Because ultimately, what we think is the end of our life will only be the beginning of the real story. As it says at the end of the Narnia book, all their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. Now at last, they were beginning chapter one of the great story, 
which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever and ever, in which every chapter is better, gonna be better than the one before. Let's pray. Yeah, I thank you, Lord. I thank you, Lord, that you are calling us to be Christians that make a difference, salt and light in the world. And I thank you, Lord, have a better thing than John Lennon, just for today. We can live for eternity. Andy, if you can come up, that'd be great. We live it than just living for eternity, just living for ourselves. I pray, Lord God, that you will fill us with your spirit every day. And over the summer, as we prayed this morning, that we will take hold of every opportunity that you give, give us over the summer with our friends, with our family, abroad, if that's an opportunity, as we go on holiday, maybe in this country, whatever it is, I pray, Lord God, as we encounter different people, just like that film said, we bring heaven, we bring heaven's glory, heaven's justice, heaven's compassion, heaven's truth to the many, many places that you've put us before. Let's worship King Jesus now in glory and faith and let us move out of this place, particularly over the summer, knowing that he is real, that he loves us, that he wants us to declare his word in deed and speaking. Oh, do we have faith for that? Do we have faith that heaven gives us faith for that? Let's stand, let's worship.